Hello, welcome to Fully Puffed, a Gilmore Girls podcast. My name is Catherine, and I'm excited to introduce my co-hosts, Grace. Hello. And Ebo. Hello, hello. And we are so excited to be talking about episode eight of season one, Love and War and Snow. Do you guys want to jump into it? Yeah, let's start with our episode summary. All right. So I'm going to kick off the episode summary. We start off at a town meeting where we learn that Stars Hollow is going to do its annual Revolutionary War reenactment. Some men from the town, including Taylor and Kirk, are going to dress up and recreate the time when the Stars Hollow militia waited out all night for the British soldiers to show up, only to have those soldiers never appear. Luke, of course, thinks this is ridiculous, and he says so loudly, even though, as the mayor points out, Luke's own father was a reenactor. Later that night, we see Lorelai, who's up late listening to a message that Max Medina left. He says they keep missing each other's calls and wonders if they'll ever actually have that first date. Rory comes out and asks if she's still listening to the message, and Lorelai confirms, but she also says it's going to snow soon. Apparently, Lorelai loves snow, which will be a recurring theme throughout the series, and she predicts that there's going to be a snowstorm tomorrow. So the next morning, we see the Independence Inn preparing for the storm and Lane trying to have a conversation with Rory about her band partner, Rich Blumenthal, who she has a crush on and who apparently has really great hair. Rory, however, is far too distracted by Dean to pay attention to her. And we can see that Lane is starting to get really resentful about this. Rory then heads off to school. As the day goes on, it starts snowing and that snow turns to a full-blown blizzard. Emily and Richard's driver picks Rory up from school, and when Emily calls Lorelai, they decide that the conditions are far too dangerous for Lorelai to come up there, and that Rory's just going to stay the night with Emily and Richard. And so that means that Lorelai is free to walk around Stars Hollow that night, and while doing so, she runs into Luke, who's watching the reenactors. She then sees Max Medina, whose car has conveniently broken down in Stars Hollow. They decide that that night is going to be their first date, and Lorelai takes him all around town. Luke, who's decided to then offer coffee and other hot beverages to the reenactors, sees Lorelai and Max and is obviously heartbroken at the image. When Max and Lorelai arrive back at her house after hitting some Stars Hollow fave spots, they linger on the doorstep and Lorelai reveals that she's never had a guy she's dating over to her house. Max tells her that there's no pressure, but that someday she's going to have to decide that a guy is worth it. And Lorelai then lets him in. So meanwhile, back at Richard and Emily's, their cook can't show up because of the snow and there's nothing to eat in the house except for a frozen pizza in the fridge. Rory insists that they can eat it and Richard and Emily are pretty skeptical, but when Rory puts grated Parmesan on it, which is one of Lorelai's tricks, they think the pizza is actually delicious. Rory also finds a picture of teenage Lorelai and Christopher, Rory's dad in Lorelai's bedroom, and she and Richard and Emily go over some old family photos. We then switch over to Lane, who's been having a pretty rough night. When the marching band was out in the town performing, she inadvertently reached out and touched Rich Blumenthal's hair. Humiliated, she fled to Rory and Lorelai's house looking for Rory, and when she can't find her, she calls Rory at the Gilmore's. Lane breaks down, telling Rory that she's never there for her, but before Rory can answer, the phone goes dead because of the storm. Lane stays at the house, and when Max and Lorelai come in and start making out, Lane accidentally interrupts them. Lorelai stops the makeout session to comfort Lane, and when she comes back out, 
she tells Max that, sorry, we can't pick up where we left off because Lane's there, but that he can sleep on the couch. The next morning, Rory comes back to find Max asleep in their home. She's upset, but Lorelai reassures her that he's only there because he was stranded in the snowstorm and Rory and Lane then have a conversation and reconcile. We think everything's okay, but Rory then goes into the kitchen and takes out the picture of a teenage Lorelai and Christopher, which she apparently took from Richard and Emily's. And that makes us realize that she's still holding out hope that her parents will get back together and is wondering how Max will affect this. So I'm really excited to talk about this episode, guys. This is one of my favorite episodes of all time. And I think it's one of the, I know we keep saying this every episode, but it's one of the ones that first really feels like Gilmore Girls and I think is like indisputably a classic Gilmore Girls app. Now that we did the summary, do we want to talk a little bit about like director and writer and all that? Yeah. Um, also, I have an unfortunate note to make. Um, it's Blumen Feld. No. Okay. No. Not gonna record it. We will. <laughs> We're not gonna re-record it. I'm so sorry. Here on Billy Puffed, we believe in admitting our errors and we apologize. We are a podcast dedicated to <laughs> to a full journalistic integrity. Oh my god, it's a core value around here. Guys, I'm so sorry. <laughs> It was bugging me because I took handwritten notes and I remember I was like, I don't think I wrote Bloom and Fall. And so I just looked it up on my phone and it's spelled. Oh no. Okay. So if those of you who you may not have heard what we got wrong, Lane's crush is Rich Blumenfeld, not Rich Blumenthal. I'm sorry. Again, we regret the error. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to everyone on the Gilmore Girls production and writing team who worked really hard to name the character and I got it wrong. Um, RIP to me. No, oh, I'm sorry that I had to be the bearer of bad news. It's okay. But yeah, okay. I will transition into our director-writer segment, although it's not super interesting this time. We have our second and last episode directed by Alan Meyerson. He also directed the Deer Hunters episode. So he introduced us to Max Medina, and oh. now he's not full circle, but he's got a Max Medina heavy episode. And then it was written by Joan Binder Weiss. She hasn't written anything yet, but she will write quite a few more Gilmore Girl episodes. So do we want to talk about the cold open? Yeah. So as we mentioned at the top, this episode opens with a classic Stars Hollow town meeting. We didn't fact check this, but we think this is the first town meeting that we see. And so it's when what seems like the entire town, or at least the major characters in the town, gather together to discuss every important and not so important town issue. Rory and Lorelai always sneak in their own food, and it's just very fun for all involved. I have and a so, trivia for the town meeting thing really quickly. Apparently they filmed it in like that real building, and because they were in LA, it was extremely hot. And the scenes would I go on. Imagine. They would go on for like eight hours. And any cast interview, they're like, Do you have a least favorite part of filming? And they're always like, It was filming the damn town meetings because you were Especially like, for the episodes that take place in like the late fall, winter when they're all like wearing their coats. Yeah. They had to pretend it was like Connecticut in December and they're all like roasting alive in there. And there was no AC. Sorry. I just needed to get that out. One thing that I always think about, and this will be more applicable in the scene where Laura Light's listening to the Max voicemail, but like, I forget where I saw this. It was some behind the scenes thing. They were talking about how that couch is like the most uncomfortable couch in the entire world. And how it like has almost no cushion. 
Oh, I've never heard that. Every time you see us on this couch, just know we're in so much pain and it looks so cozy. It does look comfy. Why didn't they buy them a better couch? They just suffer for their art. (laughs) I also heard that the food at the Friday night dinners was not that good. To me, I was surprised that they were actually eating it. Yeah, as opposed to using like a spit bucket or something. I was like very confused by that or I thought it would just be regular prop food they kind of dressed up a little but apparently they went like the full nine yards and and actually made it yeah and apparently Alexis Bledel hates coffee so anytime she's drinking it at Luke's it's actually just water Um, but anyway this town meeting when we get there um, the person at the podium is the mayor of Stars Hollow I thought I recognized him from somewhere, but it turns out that it's just from watching this show over and over again. But <laughs> IMDb, and he has like a ton of bit parts, including being the Big Lebowski in The Big Lebowski. Are you serious? That's him? <laughs> yeah, that's him. That's crazy. I I looked him up too because I thought like you, I was like, I think I know this guy from somewhere, but it, it was basically just Gilmore Girls, except that Grace, you mentioned Blazing Saddles a few weeks ago and apparently he's in that. <laughs> oh, wait, is he like the, the corrupt town mayor? I don't know. I need to look this up because there's no way, like that movie was made like 30 years before that. All right, we'll look it up. We'll, we'll, we'll get it. <laughs> we'll confirm during when we take our break, I'll look it up and we'll get back to you. I like how clearly they were going to have him as like a recurring mayor character. And then they sort of collapse that role into Taylor Dosey, who right. is a much more effective, even though he's technically not mayor, he's town selectman. He's a much more effective foil for everything that goes on in the town. And the person who's forever trying to enforce the town rules. I do like that the mayor says he has to address something very important. And then he says, we have leash laws, people. Because that comes back in the revival like multiple times, including in the musical where they sing the line, our leash laws are enforceable. And I was like, that's the kind of attention paid to the early series that they bring back that I appreciate. I really liked that. I love how selectively they pay attention to plot continuity. Right, that's the thing though. Like, I watch the show all the time and I didn't remember this until very recently from this episode, but like they will discard whole plot lines if they don't serve them. And this thing was something that like stuck in Amy Sherman Palladino's mind, apparently. Did she like go back and watch certain episodes before the reboot? Who's to say? Oh, if we could get inside her mind, if only. I don't think I want to. No, I would prefer to just have the show. <laughs> as it is. Yeah, I don't think I want that. No, but I love the town meeting scenes. I think they're always really good. Luke is freaking out because the town is, as we said in our in our episode description, they're going to do a reenactment of the time that all the Stars Hollow militiamen dressed up to try to fend off the Redcoats and they basically got ghosted. And in, I think, our first iteration of like Luke is publicly a curmudgeon because before we've seen him like not want to get the decorations, but this is like Luke is known in the town for being like anti-tradition and anti-Stars Hollow stuff. We get him standing up to deliver his first big speech about why this is a ridiculous tradition and why we shouldn't be celebrating a war that was fought to keep land we stole, which I think is another classic Tanky Luke line. (laughs) Is this a great Tanky Luke episode? This the later- Luke the lefty. (laughs) Luke the lefty, he is. 
I know I couldn't stop thinking about how Grace, you mentioned that people on like Reddit or something were like, Luke would have voted for Trump. I was like, um, no, Luke is like part of the land back movement. <laughs> like, oh. I like hashtag land back Luke as well. <laughs> yeah, Steiner um, would have had a Bernie Sanders poster hanging in it, like in the window. Maybe he would have had it at the house. I don't know if he would have actually disturbed any of the hangings in the diner to put one up. Mm. Maybe Lorelai could have helped him. I feel like it's actually pretty cool for a show around the early 2000s to be talking about like indigenous rights. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's cool that Luke is out there playing indigenous rights. Yeah. Our official podcast, Fully Puffed Stance on Land Back Luke is pro. Pro Uh, Land and they make him look really good while he's doing it he is rocking the scruff a great like puffer vest and flannel combo he's looking hot mm-hmm. yeah season one luke he could get it oh <laughs> he said that like, it's a, like it's like a, a controversial position he looks so good <laughs> but yeah is there anything else we want to cover from the town hall scene just like how cute Lorelai and Rory are eating their hot dogs and like giggling. Like, I just love that. Yeah. I like that they go to town meetings as though it's like live theater or it's like a, it's like dinner theater for them. Ebo, you're from the Northeast. Does this ring true to your like Northeast government experience? I mean, I never went to a town meeting, but I was, uh, this is embarrassing. This is so embarrassing. I was the student representative for the school board in my town <laughs> when I was in high school. No, you weren't. How did I never know this before? Yeah, I was a big student council nerd. I did student council from fifth grade through senior year of high school. Oh, that's so cute. No, it's not. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, it's just but, funny. I just didn't picture you involved in that. Town, town government. I had a nameplate. <laughs> see actually that gets me a little closer to to believing it yeah that piece is like pretty small towny but like a lot of the other like the historical reenactment stuff is so 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 new england like my elementary school growing up was named after a Minuteman who fought in the revolutionary war yeah and there was a like bronze revolutionary war cannon in our town common Wow. Anyone who has ties to the Revolutionary War pimps that the fuck out. <laughs> you could, they're like DIR people too. Like yeah. Very proud of their association with their Revolutionary War past. Yeah. My dad tried to get me into the, or my mom tried to get me into the DIR because <gasps> that lineage falls on my dad's side. And so when I was in high school, my mom was like, you need to do the paperwork so that she can get a scholarship because the DAR would love to give some money to a woman going into STEM. And then my dad never did it. And it's still like, <laughs> a, it's still like such a contentious issue. Wait, can we try to get you in the DAR? It's like a Gilmore Girls podcast project. I mean, all the like genealogy stuff has been done. Please let me help you with this. Yes, not to like really pimp out my heritage, but I'm a descendant of the Skylers for you Hamilton fans, the like Skyler sisters. And my mom is going to freak out when she listens to this. (laughs) Yes, it's very embarrassing. My grandfather's name is Skyler. That's his first name after that. So yeah, I'm, I'm white, for those of you who can't. <laughs> I do have a DAR link. What? Similarly, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, nobody would know about the Sprague family, but 
yeah, I all the paperwork was done for me to also join the DAR. And I thought it was really cool until Gilmore Girls. And then I was like, hell no, I don't want to be a part of this. I knew what it was because of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> Guys, can we please try to get both of you into the DAR and then we can go to DAR stuff for the podcast? That could be our side podcast. Like this is the main show. And then we'll also have the spinoff where we infiltrate DAR meetings. Yeah. My family came over from Italy like three generations ago and they were all peasants, like all the way back. No one has ever done genealogy on my family because it's so boring. Yeah, so I'm white also, but (laughs) a different kind of white. In Oklahoma, it just didn't mean anything. I was just like, what's the DAR? I don't want to do anything. I don't want to be a part of this. And then I found out it was like upper class wasps. I was like, oh, hell no. (laughs) But yeah, maybe we can both infiltrate. I'm so happy about this. This made my whole day. So now that we've discussed our DAR connections, let's turn to someone else who has a DAR heritage, Lorelai. Hey, oh, look at that transition. Lorelai's up late. I think it's the same night listening to Max Medina's message that he left her on the answering machine over and over. I will say that as the podcast resident Max Medina hater, I do not dislike him in this episode. And I know we were expecting the Thunderdome, but I have no problem with him in this app. I actually find him kind of charming. I think it's because I can forget he's Rory's teacher for most of it. Can I ask though? So, okay, so Lorelai's up listening to the message, but she also opens the window and it's freezing cold. And she says she can, this is like a Lorelai thing that will you know go on for the rest of the show, that she can smell the snow. And then Rory comes in and she's like, I think that's only something you can smell. Okay, snow has a smell, right? I'm not crazy. Yeah. No, it does. Mm-hmm. He knows that. What's wrong with Rory? I think it's because it's not like currently snowing, but it's going to snow the next day. So like, it's not that she's like smelling the snow that's present. I'm getting way into in the weeds with this. She's like, <laughs> she's smelling like the front of like weather coming on. Does that make she's, sense? She's like sensing a disturbance in the force. Yes. <laughs> I think it's more like that. I feel like that's when the snow smell happened. I did Google this one time and it is a thing. I forget what it is though. It's all, I think it's the absence of smell actually that people smell. Oh, because it's so cold. Yeah. and, And like air pressure or something, the weather conditions that create snow, like create an absence of other smells and so that's what what people mean when they smell snow don't fact check me no I was just gonna say like never say that you're not learning while listening to this podcast because that is very educational (laughs) but yes we will accept the premise that she can smell the snow Rory likes snow but Lorelai is like all in on snow are we all in on snow like are you guys snow people no yes I'll be the tiebreaker I love looking at snow when I'm in my apartment and like I'm all cozy and I'm watching perhaps a Harry Potter movie or a Lord of the Rings or a Gilmore Girls. And I'm like, oh, wonderful. And then I go out and I'm like. Vroom, 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 vroom. No, I like the first dusting. But after that, I would like it to not happen again. It just, it sits on the sidewalk. It accumulates dirt. And then you get the gross like snowbergs, especially here in Philly, because everything is gross in the best way possible. I like living here but it's gross. And like, it's so inconvenient. I'm a pedestrian. It's terrible to walk in. It's cold out. I hate the cold. Don't tell me to move somewhere temperate because I do like seasons. (laughs) You're not Lorelai. No. 
no, no, no. I'm more of a Michelle. <laughs> Spiritually, Michelle in all aspects. Catherine, you like it? I love cold air. Like I find it so invigorating and I love to like go for walks in the snow. But the dirty snow and the snowbirds, that is gross. That's an unfortunate side effect. Like when they pile it up in the mall parking lots or like the parking lots of like the shopping centers and you're like, Ugh. Yeah, and it's just a mountain of dirty snow. Yeah. yeah not great. But in Stars Hollow, they don't have dirty snow. No. <laughs> it's great. So Lorelai's prediction comes true. It's going to snow. Our next scene is they're preparing for the storm at the Independence Inn. Michelle, there's a great exchange where Michelle tells Lorelai that they should be preparing for the guests to start eating each other in case they get snowed in. And he tells Suki to make a cookie in the shape of like a butt so that the guests can get used to like eating each other. That joke sounded much darker when I like said it out loud out of the context of the show. We get Lane coming in, Lane the band geek. Yeah. And she looks so cute. <laughs> Were you guys in, I was never in band. No. I did orchestra through eighth grade. <laughs> it's different. It's fine. I don't know. I think you can put Lane in anything and she looks adorable. Like paradoxically, like the dorkier the stuff they put her in, the cuter she looks to me. Realistically for high school, that is embarrassing. Yeah. Before we talked, like before we recorded, Ebo was like, why didn't she take the hat off? And I was like, you know, that's a pretty good point. Yeah, like it's not welded to her head. If she hates her stupid band plume thing, whatever it's called, I would have simply taken it off. (laughs) Also, like, I just realized that they're going to perform at night and this is before school. Is she going to wear that at school like all day? (laughs) I know. She's like sitting in her English class. She's like the big plume on. It's been too long since we've all been in high school. Did They didn't do that. Band kids didn't dress no. up during the day. Unless they also performed like during the day at a pep rally or something. But they, I've never seen anybody with a hat on. No. No. Sometimes the sports teams would like wear their uniforms to like drum up school spirit, but not, not, not the band kids. <laughs> but Lane seems to think that there's one particularly interesting band person, Rich Blumenfeld. Sorry again for for the name mess up, who she's like super into. And I thought it was funny that she talks about how she doesn't want to date someone in who's her band partner because it will, uh, you know, mess everything up. It's a funny bit of foreshadowing because, of course, her two serious relationships in the show are with guys in her band. She just loves a man who can read music. Exactly. Do we know what instrument Rich Blumenfeld plays? Do we know what instrument Lane plays? what in my head it's the clarinet but that's just my head cannon I thought it was flute oh maybe no but I also was like is it tuba I, I don't think we ever know it like could be anything she could play the freaking cymbals why do I feel like she plays the trumpet <laughs> no reason for that <laughs> we've all like completely imagined like a different instrument that she's holding like the Berenstein Berenstein Bears thing where like everyone imagined it Berenstein Bears and it's Berenstein. Like we all have an instrument that Lane has in her hand. Wait, okay. So I just Googled it. Oh, okay. And there's a post on the Gilmore Girls sub. <laughs> the first comment is, I think someone said they noticed she played the trumpet. <gasps> and then the second episode says, trumpet. You can see it in the episode of touching that one kid's hair. And also in season three, that'll do pig when Rory is at the winter carnival. And apparently some other eagle-eyed Gilmore Girls fan 
said she's standing by other trumpet players. Nice job, dude. It kind of freaks me out that I knew that because I didn't, I don't know why. I wow, I would not have bet that she was playing the trumpet. Nice work. I feel like Mrs. Kim would not allow this though. I can't imagine. Mrs. Kim would be like, you go to school, then you go to Bible study. Well, we'll talk later in the episode about what Mrs. Kim does and does not allow <laughs> that are that's inconsistent in this episode because I have some thoughts on that. Yeah. Also, like, band could have been an in-school class. Oh, it wasn't my school. Yeah, that's what it was for me in high school. I didn't do it. I did theater and student council, which is so much worse than doing band. (laughs) So another reason why this scene, besides Lane's, like, marching band thing, is important is because it's the first time we kind of see Lane become discontent with, like, the whole Rory Dean thing and how Rory treats her. Yeah, because when, I don't know if we mentioned this already, but when Lane is trying to explain to Rory about how she has this crush on her band partner, Rory is just like very clearly not listening. She's, I think she's looking for her chemistry book or something like that. And you can see that like Lane really just wants her friend to listen to her. And she's looking for cookies for Dean. Cookies for the love. (laughs) The Dean and the cookies and the love and the Dean and the cookies. I love that moment. And I start, I've started singing that around my house sometimes. Yeah. It sucks because we had that discussion last episode about how nice it was. Like Lane was so supportive of Rory when she was getting her first kiss and such a good friend. And now Rory can't get it through her head that she needs to support Lane. Yeah. That Lane is anything more than like a prop in her life. Yeah. I think Rory doesn't want to believe that she sees Lane as a sidekick, but she clearly does. Yeah. And I don't know if this will like ever be as explicit as it is in this episode but like it only gets worse throughout the series and then dean makes that asshole comment to her he's like oh nice hat lane later and like says it in a mean way yes so for background in the next scene we see lane and rory and dean sitting on a bench rory's waiting for the bus to go to school also like what time did these kids get up I was like, you did all this before school. You went from your house to the Independence Inn to the bus to go to school. My school started at like 7.50 in the morning. Like, yeah. I got up at 5.30 in high school because the bus came at like 6.10. I did too because I also took the bus for like my first three years. And like, you were on that bus or you like weren't going to school. Yeah, first the bell was 7.35. Mm-hmm. Point out though that, so Rory and Lane are talking while they're walking to the bus stop. And then they sit down on the bench. And then when Dean like intervenes, he literally like sticks his head in between the two of them. Like he's like pushing his way into their conversation. That's good visual storytelling though. And good direction to have him like literally insert his way between them when that's what he's doing, like on an emotional level. Yeah. And I just feel so bad for Lane, who's just like very clearly third wheeling. It's awful. And there's, there's always that dynamic in high school too especially early high school like when somebody gets a boyfriend and then you're like also just kind of there yeah like the first friend to get a boyfriend later in the scene it breaks my heart when she says to Rory like you have Dean and Chilton and your grandparents and you have all of these things and I have nothing and it's just so heartbreaking Mm -hmm. because it's not like Lane has this thriving life outside of her you know lack of rich Blumenfeld success like she has a controlling mom and she has marching band and she does okay in school and she doesn't have any other friends, it seems. And she has like extreme parental controls over everything she does. And like, yeah, her life is kind of bleak. Even control over like what she ingests with all the weird health food. Yeah. 
And then they put her in this marching band outfit to make Reeve look even more pathetic. <laughs> yeah. They're really laying it on thick for Port Lane. I will say quickly, something that's always annoyed me about this scene is Rory has been trying to get Dean to read Jane Austen. And he's like, Jane Austen, you got to read Hunter Thompson. Okay, Dean. This is like, this must be an Amy Sherman Palladino thing. She writes it Hunter Thompson, not Hunter S. Thompson. And I've never seen it stylized just Hunter Thompson. Because that happens later in the series too with Jess. And it's like, it's clearly the same person who wrote both of those episodes. I suspect it's ASP. But this is another example of how they steal Dean's entire season one personality and give it to Jess. Because Jess and Paris have that same Jane Austen versus Hunter S. Thompson argument in season two. Yeah, also like, I just don't see Dean reading outside of an English class unless it's like a motorcycle magazine. Like that is all I can picture him reading. Dean can't read. (laughs) This is where this characterization dies. I don't know if it's continued past this episode. Like trying to make this like intellectual who likes Paul Thomas Anderson and Hunter S. Thompson. Someone was watching this and they were like, listen, this is not working. Like we're just gonna get we're just gonna make this kid an idiot. Oh wait, by the way, I was talking to Alfred about the Boogie Nights thing. And and I was like, I think, I think it's just to demonstrate the Dean is like a film snob and an intellectual. And Alfred just goes, but there are other movies. <laughs> You're right. I don't, there's no excuse. You can't try to make it better. I'm team Alfred on this one. There are other movies. <laughs> there are other movies. Do you want to do this scene at the Independence Inn with like Michelle and Emily and all them or? There's just this one, there's like not this. So they cut back to the Independence Inn. Nothing happens here really that moves the plot forward, except there's this one great line from Michelle where Lorelai is still very excited about the snow and she says it's the first snow of the year make a wish and he says get away from me and then she said you're so you're not supposed to say it out loud and I I like laughed out loud I love them so much oh is this also when Lorelai gets the call from Emily about the snowstorm yeah yeah so I lied. There is something that moves the plot forward. And that is that this snow that Lorelai has sensed is actually going to be a huge blizzard. And as such, Lorelai can't make it to dinner. And they decide that it makes the most sense for Rory to stay with her grandparents overnight in Hartford. And they send her their like driver to go pick her up. I think the pickup line at Chilton is not like a bunch of soccer moms and minivans, but is instead a bunch of like chauffeurs and drivers. I really hope it is. So the next scene, it's nighttime in Stars Hollow and they're about to do the reenactment. And Ebo, you said before the episode that this is also so New England that it pains you. Yeah, there's like a lot of little things about (laughs) Stars Hollow that are just like so, so, so New England. I remember we were, I was talking to someone in college who was watching the series for the first time, who is not from New England. And she was like, I find this show so painful. Like I refuse to believe that this place exists. And I was like, oh no, 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 no. There are festivals all the time and they go all in on the revolutionary war stuff. Just very New England. I think that's like a big critique of the show too, that it feels like a fake town. And I'm very heartened to... Not that that would make me enjoy it any less if it were, but I'm very heartened to hear that there are actual places like this. Yeah, we had a, so third grade, the history curriculum was my town's town history. 
And so we had a like old schoolhouse in the town from the like 16, 1700s. And each third grade class had a day where they went to school in the schoolhouse and you had to dress up in the like period attire and you played like schoolyard games from that time. And like, we all just accepted that this was normal. (laughs) I feel like we did that in elementary and middle school too in Oklahoma though. So that might be, Grace, did you do anything? No! you guys can't see this because this is a podcast but I have like this shocked expression on my face because I think it's so cute but we didn't do anything like that yeah you know those like sticks and hoops yeah we played with those was it fun it was fine yeah I I hope kids back then were having a good time with their sticks and hoops that's why I asked yeah just very very odd coming from Oklahoma like this is one of the things that attracts me to the show or attracted me to the show it's weird. I felt like there wasn't much history, even though there actually is. There's tons of interesting history in the Southwest. Do you guys think that, because this is also what attracted me to the show, like the, the adorable town stuff. Do you think that that's why the, it's one of the reasons we consider this like a classic Gilmore Girls episode, because it has so much of the town stuff in it? Yeah. yeah. And I think it just has kind of like the spirit of the series. It has everything in the show, too. Mm-hmm. Like it has town stuff, Richard and Emily cute Richard and Emily, Lane, Lorelai romance, Rory's also there. It's got it all. This episode's got it all. (laughs) (laughs) It does. So they're doing the reenactment stuff. Luke is like kind of not heckling, but like loosely heckling the reenactors. And Lorelai comes up to him. First, he says that his father was a reenactor and that he actually owned his own musket. He never had to rent it. And when Lorelai asked what happened to it, he says he was buried with it. Which made me think like in season two episode, Luke's uncle Louie dies and he's buried with so much stuff that they actually have to buy an extra large casket for him because it won't close and it bounces. And I don't know what's up with the Danes men like insisting that they're King Tut and being buried with all of their treasures. But maybe that's why Luke like owns nothing. (laughs) Like he has his like flannel shirt, his baseball cap. He lives in like a studio. Maybe it's like a reaction against his family. I thought you meant that like Luke's dad had was buried with all the family stuff. So he took it all. It's like not a, it's it's not a crypt. It's one of those pods, like the storage unit. Looks <laughs> <laughs> like dead. <laughs> takes like the pans and the coffee <laughs> I'm sorry psychologically like maybe it messed him up and that's why he like it lives like a monk no I mean I think that we see like the psychological reaction against it in this episode when he's like you know I think it's ridiculous he it's it's tradition but he gives this whole speech about like how tradition is bs he's like Things sucked then. They just sucked without indoor plumbing. People always think that things were better in the past. The kids didn't have sex and that like families were closer. And he's like, that didn't happen. People did all that stuff in the past too, which I feel a real affinity with Luke there because as somebody who like used to specialize in that stuff, like it is true. People have been complaining about how unruly the kids are since like the year 10 BC, you know, Um, (laughs) things have always been like they are now, but now we have indoor plumbing and that's nice. But on a Lorelai level, I also do think some traditions are nice. And I watch Gilmore Girls, so I'm clearly a sentimental person at heart. <laughs> I mean, I do like tradition and I like snow. So yeah, I'm, 
uh, I'm pro land back, but also pro cute town traditions. <laughs> Both of those things can exist at once. Yeah. I think it's a nice scene too with Luca Morelli. And like they oh, have yeah. a really cute romantic moment here, like friendship moment, but also romantic moment. And then who does Lorelai come across but Max Medina? And there's Max. So I think we skipped over some things between. So this like Luke and Lorelai reenactment moment comes in like this kind of like almost montage of like vignettes around the town. One of which is on the steps of Stars Hollow High. And we see Band Geek Lane just be overtaken by the hand and run her hand through Rich's hair. And she's clearly mortified and she just takes off. You guys, being <laughs> possessed by your hand is in fact the plot of the Rodman Flender film, <laughs> Idle Hands. <laughs> Do you think that's intentional? It, it can't be, I don't think, but that is really funny that this is the next episode where she's like, my hand just reached forward and brushed his hair. I mean, he does have nice hair, I thought. For that era, definitely. Yeah, it's like very 2000. Yeah, but it's, it's not like spiky. It's not Dean's hair either. I've always thought, and this is maybe like watching it in my late teens and an adult, I've always thought this was so overdramatic. If I had done something as insane as this, I would have been like, dude, you had a bug in your hair. And then like, just played it off. I always thought like, run, don't run away. Now everybody knows you're weird. Everyone around her reacts to it so dramatically too. They're like, oh, like nobody would have noticed that. It's a weird thing to do for sure. But like, I feel like she could have been like, oh, there was snow in your hair. Or there was a bug. I just feel like you could have played it off. But by running away, it makes it look like you really messed up. <laughs> She's young. I don't think I could have played this off well, even though you gave me a really good way to do it if this ever potentially happens to me with like the bug or the snow thing. Yeah, I don't think I would have thought quickly enough to just like come up with an excuse. I don't think I would have run, but I would have just died like right there on the spot. Yeah. I also want to back us up a little bit to talk about Lorelai gives this weird monologue that maybe I'm being too picky, but I just really dislike when she's talking about the snow. Oh, when she says that it's like lucky. Yeah. Evo, you pointed out, or at some point you asked like what we thought about this, this scene. And I was curious why you specifically asked, because I specifically don't like it. And I'm curious if I'm, I just feel like she's got such a weird tone. And she's talking about how like how the snow always happens at these meaningful times in her life and how she had an ear infection when she was a little kid. And she wished and wished to live with snow. And then she was like, and then it was like a fairy godmother brought me the special gift and it snowed. And Luke is like, your parents never explain the concept of weather to you. That's such a good line. though. I just like found this monologue like far too saccharine for my liking. I really, it like, it's icky to me. It's cringy. It comes off as like almost naive. Yeah, I didn't have a huge problem with it, but I think it's like some of the worst writing in the episode. But just because the episode has such good writing in general, I think it stuck out to me more. Yeah, it feels scripted. Yeah, it does. It doesn't feel like something Lorelai would organically say. Yeah. No. This episode has a weird number of monologues. It does. Like more than one character like stands there and like gives a monologue about something. I think that kind of contributes to or is like a part of the fact that it, it almost feels like a little play-like. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Like this episode is very theatrical. Yeah. Not in terms of it being like over the top, but just in terms of like how it's written, how the stories are structured. Right. Cause there's almost like discrete acts in it or like discrete scenes that are usually like we go in and out of like Chilton and Stars Hollow and like different places. But with everybody that's stranded in different places because of the snow, it becomes like different parts of the stage light up and we mm-hmm. see them doing things or delivering monologues. Yeah. Okay, wait. So I want to now go back to when we meet Max Medina because did either of you guys notice the insanity that is happening behind Lorelai when she meets Max? Isn't that gypsy? Isn't there a thing? (laughs) Oh, I think about that all the time. No, it's okay. You got to watch it. I regret that I didn't text you guys to watch it before the pod because it's insane. Okay, there's balloons. First of all, so like when Lorelai walks up to greet Max, but in the background, there's lots of balloons and people in costumes, not Revolutionary War costumes, but like, I think one person looks like kind of like a jester and there's someone in like kind of like Liberace cape. There's like a whole thing happening in the background. Okay. I don't not believe you. I'm just looking it up on my phone now. (laughs) What? I rewound it. I rewatched it. And it is never addressed or explained. I kind of love that, though. Just accepting that as normal. Yeah. <laughs> I think they, like, wandered in from, because I know they shot on the WB lot. Do you think they wandered in from a different production? And they were like, yeah, just come, come on back. The extras. Oh, yeah, you're right. Are you watching it? Did you see it? Yeah. Yeah, this is real goofy. Oh, <laughs> And the balloons are yellow and pink. And this person isn't wearing pants. Like calves exposed. It is snowing. So goofy. Oh my God, what? That's so weird. Yeah, I've never, I've noticed the balloons. And that's actually what made me look closer because in the past, I've just been like, balloons, it's whimsical. You know, who cares? And this time I was like, why are there balloons? Right, like what is, let's look closer. Computer, Zoom. well okay so nobody has any explanation for this no but it is happening so (laughs) this is like the easter egg of michelle in the background of roy's birthday party (laughs) i'm very glad you pointed that out Catherine. well you're welcome and it will be a delight for you when you i'm gonna go back and watch it after we take this max is also there he's less exciting than the jester and the balloon person but he is there nonetheless. I always kind of thought of this as part of like the theatrical element of this episode because like of course Max Medina's car is not in real life going to break down in Lorelai's town. Like that would never happen. That's ridiculous. But because this episode sort of exists in a heightened stars hollow reality that is very almost like Christmas story-y. I buy it's fine. It doesn't bother me. It's very Hallmark, but I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad about it. It feels like a Christmas play. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even mad about Max Medina showing up because I'm pretending that he's a different person or at least Max removed from Chilton. So Lee and Lorelai finally decide that, or decide that they're going to finally have their long awaited first date and they go strolling around Stars Hollow. It's particularly convenient because Rory isn't in town. So things are not going to be weird. I and thought this was cute. I mean, it, it's cute. <laughs> it's cute. Lorelai thinks the snow brought him to her. And I mean, of course she doesn't really think that, but she's like, yes, jackpot. I'm very into the idea that I think Grace suggested that this was actually sabotage on the part of Max Medina. 
I don't really think that. That like he sabotaged his car to get the, yeah, I think, I mean, we could see it. I also have another Kilmer Girls moment for this scene where that like Max's car broke down somewhere that wasn't Stars Hollow and he got murdered. In the alt universe when they break down and like, there's like no real middle of nowhere Connecticut, but like. In theory. Yeah. Like some rural town, no one around for like 80 to 100 miles. Or he could have that thing where like he gets stuck in a crevasse, like that James Franco movie where he's like, eat his gnaws on arm. <laughs> Alfred refuses to watch that movie. I thought it was an amazing film. But he's I'm like, not watching that. What's that? What, 38 hours? Is that what it's called? It's 127 hours. I don't know. <laughs> <know. laughs> like my brain just 38 hours. I'm eating my arm. <laughs> Eight hours would be such a small amount of time to start eating your arm. I know that's like a day and a half. <laughs> Things are rough. I guess I'm going to gnaw my way out. So speaking of starvation, uh, we then cut to the Gilmores. Wow, Catherine, that was really good. <laughs> good transition. They are panicking because their cook can't come. Also, I love how like Emily's freaking out so much about Rory, like, getting from the school to their house, which is like like five minutes or something. But then she's put out that uh, Lorelai won't come all the way from Stars Hollow. And she's put out that the cook won't come. I was actually surprised she didn't like make Lorelai try to get in the car and go. I was, I was like, she let her off a little easy there, even though of course she couldn't have actually made it. Mm-hmm. But they are, so she's like kind of throwing a fit um, about how they don't have anything to eat. And about how this is the only meal that Rory gets all week, which leads to a delightful Richard line, basically implying that Rory needs the UNHCR to like have like Angelina Jolie come bring her food. Rory, are you malnourished or do you need a celebrity raise money on your behalf or something like that? It's so good. It's so good. Ah, it's so good. It's so And she, of course, like pipes in from the other room. Nope, I'm good. Oh, it's such a cute Rory, Richard, Emily interaction. I love it. Yeah. So they go to the fridge, which Evo, I think, pointed out another fridge cam. Hashtag fridge cam. Yeah. And the only food that they can find is frozen pizza. And Emily acts like it's the end of the world to eat a frozen pizza. Wait, another one of my, like, I guess, soft Kilmore Girls moments is like, who do you think actually bought the frozen pizza? Because they, they think it was the maid. But like, do you think anybody else got it? Maybe like the only like plausible thing I can think of is that Lorelai bought it when she was in high school and it's just been like sitting there for like 16 years. Ah, what if they all got like really bad food poisoning? Did you still eat a frozen pizza after that? Like, no. no. I don't know. It's frozen, baby. Good. I will admit I'm not a big frozen pizza person, but I, I never thought about adding Parmesan to it before I watched Gilmore Girls because that's what they end up doing, not to get yeah. a I usually put extra veggies on my frozen pizzas. That's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Add a fresh element. No joke. Frozen pizza and red wine, like my favorite meal. Like, like not even joking. Like, I no, there's this like one very specific Annie's, the what is it called? Annie's, the like organic brand. Annie's, yeah. This one Annie's pizza that I freaking love. I would love to eat frozen pizza with Richard and Emily though. Oh, yeah. Oh, and like crystal, we drink wine and crystal goblets. <laughs> Perfect. This is one of the best scenes of the show, like this whole frozen pizza thing, even though it's like part one of the scene. And I think the show knows that because in the revival, that's one of the things Rory hears when she goes back into Richard and Emily's house at the end of the series. 
it's one of the seminal scenes you think of when you think about Rory and Richard and Emily, at least to me. Agree. Just like this nice moment of like Rory bringing something from her experience to her grandparents and then like really being okay with it. Yeah. And they love it. That's what makes me happy. Mm -hmm. In slightly, not darker, but less heartwarming part is when Rory goes upstairs, just like checking stuff out and Lane calls her. Mm. I've always wondered how Lane, number one, knows (laughs) how to get her. Like maybe she knows she's a Friday night dinner, but how would she have any idea what the number is? So I think Lane pages Rory and Uh, Rory then calls her, but Lane is at her house. Yeah, Lane is at her house. So she probably paged her to say like, call home. I don't really know how pagers work. (laughs) I don't know how they work either. Are they like text? Could you text on a pager? I think you can have like a certain pre-programmed message. This makes me think about Dennis Duffy, the Beaver King. (laughs) (laughs) From 30 Rock, because I know we're all 30 Rock people. And Lane is, you know, she's distraught because she just ran her fingers through Rich Blumenfeld's hair and Rory, she thought would be, you know, someone she could run to and Rory's not even at her freaking house. And it's just the last straw for Lane. She explodes and she's like, you have Dean, like I said earlier, you know, you have Dean, you have your grandparents, you have children, you have everything and I have nothing. And then the line cuts. (laughs) So tragic. I know. I feel really bad for both of them here. Mostly for Lane. Oh yeah, definitely. I just, (laughs) just Rory would be so anxious just because the line cuts. Like she wants, you can tell she really wants to get back to her. No, Rory's absolutely wrong. I just hate when you can't get in contact with somebody immediately that like you want to talk to. Mm -hmm. And then Emily comes in to tell her that something's wrong. The stove is buzzing. (laughs) Rory's like, it's the timer, grandma. And Emily's like, I know it's the timer, Rory. I don't know why it won't turn off. (laughs) And so they go downstairs. The one thing I forgot to mention is that right before Lane pages her, Rory is looking around Lorelai's room and found finds a photo booth picture strip of Lorelai and Christopher as teenagers. This always cracked me up because young Lorelai is just Lauren Graham <laughs> with like a little hair over her face. And then Christopher is like a guy, like a younger guy. It's like an Abercrombie model. <laughs> where was this young Christopher when they were trying to cast young Christopher season three I don't know like he doesn't look that much like Christopher but he doesn't look so little like him like the guy they actually have play him yeah he looks more like Logan oh yeah he does look like Logan all right so we're back in the hollow Lorelai and Max are now at the black white and red bookstore which has become the black white and red movie theater temporarily which I think is one of a lot of our like favorite places in Stars Hollow because it's so cute. Lorelai and Max have previously gotten a Fiesta burger. I don't know if they got it at Al's or like where they would have gotten it from. It had to be Al's. <laughs> Salute to Panama. I just don't understand why you would get Fiesta burgers on a first date. That's all I'm saying. I like, <laughs> That's always bothered me. She clearly doesn't want to bring him to Luke's though. Oh, good point. Because I was like, where did you get the Fiesta Burger? Oh, maybe it could have been at Luke's. No, no, no. She doesn't want Luke to see Max. Also, Luke wouldn't serve a Fiesta Burger. (laughs) Yeah, but no, no, no. That's a good point. I've always thought, like, if you're maybe overthinking this, but I think that is a really good point. But, like, on a first date, I just don't think, like, really spicy. But, yeah, maybe it's just because, like, where else is she going to take him? Because she can't take him to Luke's. And then speaking of not wanting Luke to see him, they come out of the movie theater and Luke does see him, though Lorelai doesn't realize it. Neither does Max. And he's so upset. 
Yeah, he's there like passing out hot beverages to the reenactors because Luke is just an old softy at the end of the day. And he sees Lorelai and Max sprawling together and looks just so sad. And it's so sad that it comes after the moment where he like reaches out to the reenactors and like offers them an olive branch. Mm-hmm. And when the mayor doesn't want to take the coffee, Luke says, my dad would have taken the coffee, which is really sweet. And then it turns comedic, of course, with like everybody ordering various things, including Kirk. Or getting his herbal tea. <laughs> so Luke has to go back and like get the stuff. But do you guys get the sense that Luke like was influenced by Lorelai to have this change of heart? Oh, yeah, I do. Demonstrate to her like, I'm not this curmudgeon. And then as he's making the gesture, he sees her and Max. I always thought that he, she influenced him. I don't even know if he thought that she was going to see it. But I think that she changed his thinking. And I think that's what we're supposed to get from it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Probably, it doesn't matter. It's not like it was a performative thing. But then when he, in the midst of that act, then sees her with another guy. Mm. So much more devastating. As we know, I love Luke, so. Oh, yeah. So, okay. oh, so then we get back to the, to the Gilmores where they're actually eating the pizza. And this is another, like, this is one of my favorite scenes, but it's another one that ends on a sad note. Yeah, because this is, we talked a lot about this kind of like when we talked about the frozen pizza at first, like they're eating it and they're trying to eat it with knives and forks. And when they start on the pizza, it's really hot. So (laughs) Rory tries to get them to eat some Parmesan on it and says that, you know, it's Lorelai's trick and has a really cute little monologue about how Lorelai can transform any sort of frozen pizza into anything. And they end up loving the Parmesan, or at least Emily does. Richard likes the pizza from the beginning. And Emily goes over and like grates some Parmesan on the pizza for him, which I always thought was adorable. Oh, and we missed the classic line, which is what I want to call the episode. In When they find the frozen pizza in the fridge, Rory's like, we should eat this. And Emily says, we can't eat this. This is food you eat at a carnival or in a Turkish prison. <laughs> One of my favorite lines in the whole series. But then when they start eating and enjoying the pizza, Rory is bolstered by this bonding that they're having. And she runs back up to get a photo book, like a scrapbook. And this is where we get one of the biggest inconsistencies in this episode. Yeah. They like look at a picture and it has Emily's sister in it, who I think this is the only time we ever hear a mention of her sister, Hopi, who lives in Paris. I feel like Emily needs to be an only girl for the Gilmore Girls consistency. Oh, okay. Like they're all Lorelai and Rory. So I think then later they decided to make Emily an only girl. And then they just, they killed, they killed Hopi. Well, we hear so little about Emily's family, period. Yeah. I think we always, like, I know in one of the next episodes, we hear that her great uncle, like, found at the hospital that they're at. So she clearly comes from, like, a, a really, really, really blue like like, well-to-do family. Yeah. I always got the sense that, like, at least the way Richard's mother reacted to her, she comes from a slightly less prestigious family, but only, like, a little bit. I buy, in theory, the idea that she has a sister in Paris, because that seems like something rich people have. Like, oh, we have an expat, <laughs> like, relative in Paris. It doesn't make any sense to me that they would have never visited her because they go to Europe and Paris specifically all the time. And even if they're not going specifically to visit her, I do not buy that they never would have like popped by and said hi to Hopi. No, and then they give Lorelai and Rory that list of people to look up in Europe and it's all just friends. It's no family. <laughs> Emily's sister Hopi is not on it. Hopi is such a rich person. Maybe she died. Oh, maybe she died. Or she and Emily had a falling out that we never hear about. 
Oh, we see their wedding picture. Oh, and uh, we see like Lorelai's christening gown, it looks like. Also, the wedding picture of Richard and Emily is clearly somebody from props cut a picture of Edward Herman in a tux and cut a picture of Kelly Bishop in a wedding gown and pasted them together. (laughs) It's really funny. She looks, they look great though. And they mentioned that Emily had a thing for Errol Flynn, the pirate guy, and wanted Richard to grow a mustache. (laughs) But then we learn about the other inconsistency. Yeah, there's some mention of some woman named Lucinda Lester and how Richard almost married her, which runs afoul with what we'll learn in season four about one Penelope Lott, who apparently Lorelai knows about because she calls her her almost mommy. But who is Lucinda Lester? And does she know about Penelope Lott? Do you think that Lucinda Lester is like Penelope Lott 1.0? I think Richard is also having clandestine luncheons with Lucinda Lester, but, you know, Emily just never learns of them. I think Lucinda Lester is worth it just for what Emily says about Lucinda Lester kind of looking like Errol Flynn and then says, I should have married her. It it would have been very modern of me. I love that. I think it's very funny. And also a lot of fans wanted Emily to have like a late in life lesbian after Richard died. That was like a big thing in the fan communities. Let people grieve. Come on. <laughs> no, no. Let Emily be sad. Maybe in a couple of years, you know? Yeah. The scene gets sad though, because they turn to the picture of Lorelai and her like coming out party gown. And Rory's like, oh, she had a coming out party. And they're like, no, she didn't. And it gets awkward because we get to the pregnancy topic again. I forget exactly how it plays out, but Rory like asks why she didn't have a coming out and Richard and Emily just like really brush it off and like very abruptly go elsewhere. And you can see that Rory just like understands what happened and she just seems very, very sad. Like all of a sudden thinking about how a 16 year old would think about this. Like, I feel like she is probably feeling guilt that like her existence is the reason why her mother didn't have the like relationship with her parents that could have been. And like, she is the reason why all of these things didn't happen and why her grandparents are so disappointed. It makes me so sad to think about that. There's so much pressure on Rory. I know. She didn't ask to exist. I really actually dislike this scene just because I feel like grow up guys. Like you don't have to be awkward and you're the adult it's your responsibility to like make this child feel like she's wanted and welcome and Emily does a great job of that when we meet Christopher's terrible parents yeah they suck oh they're like worst worst they're definitely Trump voters (laughs) they're definitely Trump voters well Strobe dies but if he could he would come back from the grave to vote for Trump but yeah I think they're immature in this scene yeah Okay, so then we're, we go back to the house. Yeah. If, uh, I actually, I don't hate this because I like the dialogue here. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't hate it. It just made me like kind of squirm a little bit at the beginning because Lorelai has and Max have wandered back to her house and he is just kind of operating under the assumption that he will be like let inside and that other things are going to happen while they're in there that just like yeah my immediate thought was like but then they keep talking and I was like okay this is less ick but my immediate thought was like oh I don't like this see now that you say that I think you're right I always just I guess had less of that reading because it was the snowstorm so I was like well of course he needs to like be somewhere physically 
but I think that you're right that he comes in with an assumption that they're gonna hook up yeah like and he's trying to hook up even after Lane's there yeah yeah I've always read it as like he's stuck in a new town but Mm -hmm. then now that I've got like pushy Max Medina like overstepping boundaries in my head I did read it as sort of like it is presumptuous I like the dialogue that they have here because I think it's like both good exposition and good writing um when Max assumes that you know she doesn't have guys over very often and she's like never so she's never had a guy that she's dated over to her house and this is like important plot liney she says that she's dated and she's dated which means that she slept with guys you know while Rory's been younger but she's never brought them over to her house and that's because she's made a real effort to keep that separate from Rory because she doesn't want Rory's life to be like too inconsistent and have guys coming in and out of it and getting attached and like never a great idea to bring a ton of young you know randos around your kids I always liked that I think that might be influenced by the fact that I watched Teen Mom for a really long time and <laughs> Lorelai's parenting decisions are the opposite of what they do on Teen Mom because they do bring a lot of like people they've met once like rando boyfriends around their kids and that's like just not safe. So yeah, I was, like, an evolving door of father figures. Yeah and I don't say this from like a socially conservative position at all. It's just not good for your child's development for them to get like attached to too many people who might then leave. Mm -hmm. I always liked Lorelai's perspective on it but we also see that like we get that Rory's growing up theme from the past couple episodes where they're like are things gonna change now is Lorelai gonna change her policy and Max says you know someday you're gonna have to decide that there's a guy or someday you are gonna decide that there's a guy worth opening that door for I'm just offering which I actually think is a nice line Mm -hmm. I will say that I think the guy she ends up opening the door for is Luke because like he's the only one she really lets into her life and ironically he was already kind of there the whole time <laughs> he had already been through the door without knowing it through the door with the ice <laughs> hallelujah <laughs> when you do that so perfectly it's almost like we have a soundboard like <laughs> <laughs> she just like pops out nice <laughs> Hallelujah. It gets me every time. <laughs> you should get a soundboard of funny Suki quotes. <laughs> but yeah, ultimately he does come inside. They like agree to come in just for coffee. You know, they're not going to date. He's just coming in for coffee. They have this like very charged banter back and forth while she's like making the coffee and like ultimately end up just making out in her house. And they're like going upstairs and <laughs> who comes out but Lane, who has fled to Lorelai and Rory's after running her hand through Rich's hair. And Max is like, how many kids do you have? And then Lane runs off and starts blasting. Who is it? Oh, the cure. <laughs> Lorelai says, oh, that's the cure. And I have like, she has to go talk to Lane. And I always assumed she meant like, oh, that's the cure for like wanting to take things further. And then recently I realized that it was the band, The Cure. I was like, oh, I'm so stupid. Yeah, she's blasting pictures of you by The Cure. (laughs) Even after, I mean, like I knew it was the band, The Cure. And I still, because like the way that she says that line, I always thought that too. Yeah, I feel vindicated now. But it is, I mean, it's it's so funny thinking about it that different way too, like where it's, it is the band. Because like, you're right or the show is right when someone starts playing the cure and they're sad you're like I gotta go check on this person the kids are not all right (laughs) (laughs) 
I think I really like Lorelai's speech that she gives or like pep talk she gives to Lane here. I love the Lorelai Lane dynamic. I like love it. She is just like such the mom figure that Lane like desperately craves. I like think Lorelai gives her a great pep talk about like what happened. I always was like, is she a little too jokey here? But then I realized that she's not because Lane is thinking like, this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen in my life. This is so serious. And she manages to like get her mind off of it first by joking. And then to recontextualize it, it's like, hey, this isn't as serious as you think it is in a way that I don't think feels belittling. Yeah, I think she does a good job of validating how Lane's feeling and saying like, I know this seems like the worst thing ever, but like, trust me, with a little bit of time and perspective, you'll realize that it's not. Lorelai has such a trump card too with like the fact that she got pregnant because yeah. like you know if nobody does things this embarrassing in high school Lorelai's like no some of us get pregnant <laughs> it's like what a way to to win any argument about that stuff mm-hmm. it seems like every episode there's a Lorelai parenting high point and low point and to me this is the high point agree okay. this is so good are you gonna say the low point is when Murray comes in yeah yeah so Lorelai comes back out and is like Max you know, Max is like, where were we? And it's like, did you think that you're going to continue to hug up? Like, there's a child in here. What? And she's like, you know, hey, Lane's here. She's going to stay. She needs comfort. I always wondered where the heck Mrs. Kim thinks she is. Yeah, especially, like, we know that she has a very tight leash on Lane. So, like, where does she think she is? And there's no way that she'd be okay with sleepovers. She's not okay with sleepovers. Like, we get that in season four, but we also get, like, three episodes later when they do that double date thing. She's so strictly supervising Lane that when she doesn't call, like, immediately back, she runs around town to find her. So, like, Mm -hmm. Mrs. Kim would think she died if this happened. Wait, is it established that Mrs. Kim doesn't allow sleepovers? Well... I don't think so, but just like from a characterization standpoint, I feel like she would not be okay with them. I always thought it was because Mrs. Kim, when Lane goes and tries to think up an excuse to go play CBGBs in season four, why couldn't she have just said she was sleeping at Rory's? I felt like that was more about like what is implied by her going to a secular college to stay with her friend. dorm. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Rory offers that and then Lane says, my mom knows your dorms are co-ed. She's praying for you. (laughs) You guys are right. So she probably, okay. So she probably got to the Gilmore's and called Mrs. Kim and said, hey mom, I'm going to sleep over here. And Mrs. Kim was like, okay. I feel satisfied by that explanation. She beeped Mrs. Kim because we now know that Lane is a beeper. (laughs) But yeah, so Max sleeps on the couch. And then next morning, Rory comes home and finds him there. Yeah, I... Like, Lorelai is awakened by the sound of her parents' driver dropping off Rory outside. And she just, like, frantically, like, puts on her jacket and goes. And, like, there, this scene to me was, like, so another one of those, like, role reversals we get early on. Where she's, like, frantically, like, I have to tell you something. And just, like, a nervous kid who needs to tell their mom something. They're hitting that, like, role reversal thing way too hard here in this scene for my liking. It feels very forced to me. Yeah. Because I think there's a way to play this off. It's like totally normal. It's just like, hey, as you know, it snowed. Max got stuck in town. I know you might be really uncomfortable with this. I had him sleep on the couch. Nothing happened, etc. Mm-hmm. Lead with Lane is here too. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
there was a like things were weird in Stars Hollow last night and Lane's here and she's had a crisis and Max's car broke down and I know this is totally weird but this is you know what the house is like this morning instead of like I have a boy in the house oh no like I think Lorelai makes it weird it was always going to be weird I guess but she makes it worse Mm -hmm. much like Lane could have said that there was a bug in Rich Blumenfeld's hair Lorelai could have led with Lane is here we should have a segment on our podcast that's called like Catherine gives you a good excuse for how to make a situation less awkward yeah I need that kind of like diffusing energy in my life where like you're like listen this is how we handle this yeah and so then like Rory goes in and they're both just like peering over the sleeping Max Medina and Lorelai gives her this lame-o excuse that was like it was the snow Lorelai shut up Lorelai you're 33 years old get a grip okay and then because she's doing such a terrible job Rory internalizes it and she's like why is this so weird for me like it's a weird situation it's a weird situation Rory it's so relatable when she's like did he use the bathroom I have stuff hanging in there and can you imagine if like she was hanging bras or underwear her teacher saw them but I always thought it was interesting that like you assume that's the reason she's freaking out and then it gets sort of turned on its head in that last moment when we see her pull the picture of Christopher and Lorelai out and you're like oh she's freaked out for the regular reason but also because she found that picture last night and it got her thinking about young Christopher and Lorelai and maybe her parents getting back together and just like that idea of Christopher that we'll learn has sort of always hovering been hovering over their lives. Yeah. I, I, that's why I love this show because it always ends in ways that are really unexpected. Mm-hmm. I think that like cat and changes the way we look at the episodes. Cause you were, you never thought the episode was going to have like the last note be a lore, like Christopher thing that completely changes the dynamic. Yeah. Oh, I just, I feel so bad for Rory in this. Just like, does Max like wake up and then like piece it? I don't know. I I don't want to think about it. But then Lane comes out and like Rory finally like admits that she's been a bad friend. And okay, here's where I have a little bit more beef. Lane just like, (sighs) Lane takes this apology too easily. She just like totally backs down and like, no, Lane, your feelings are valid. And Rory has been a bad friend to you. I think I've said this before. I think I said this, um, it must've been kiss and tell. I, I don't remember, but no, no, no. It was when Rory's like stalking Dean at, at doses, but like, this is just so unrelatable to me. And I don't know what your, you guys' experience was in like middle school and high school, but like early crushes, I felt, feel like they were almost like communal. Like mm-hmm. we, we all had our crushes and we like had code names for them. And we would write notes to each other, like using the code code names and we were all just like super excited for each other and also I get there at different schools but our you know boyfriends and crushes were like in the similar friend group so we would all hang out and I don't feel like I had an unusual experience I feel like that's more normal I think Rory's being super weird to me this feels relatable to like my teen experience just because I did like like I I would have like a boyfriend or like my, my friends would have a boyfriend and like things would fall to the wayside and like even now I struggle sometimes like if I'm dating somebody, like, I feel like I don't do a great job prioritizing both parts of my life equally, which is something I'm trying to work on. But it's just, I think to me, it like rings true. And that's why it's painful. I don't know. 
I just feel like Rory is being weird. Like by not even telling Lane when she was going into the supermarket to like, it's like there was no sort of build up to this crush. And then Lane has that great friend moment for Rory after the kiss. And then Rory doesn't reciprocate at all. I don't know. It's, it's just, it makes me sad. For such a great episode, it's kind of a sour ending on all fronts with like this and the Max and the Christopher stuff. Like we, after this like magical town moment thing, like magical almost play like scenes, we get like a very sober aftermath. Yeah, maybe that's kind of the point though, that it's like this all takes place in this like magical night and then the next morning you were to see the consequence. Mm-hmm. You have to get up and face the English teacher on the couch. <laughs> I hope his car's ready. <laughs> what if you have to wait around for like six more hours? He's just there like killing time. God, it's like, okay, I'm just gonna go walk around the town by myself. Read oh. every plaque. <laughs> I bet there's a lot. Talk to Taylor Dozy for a couple hours. He could keep you occupied. All right. So do we want to rate the episode or do mm-hmm. segments first? First, yeah. We um, did kill more girls. I had a lot of beauty stuff. Lorelai in periwinkle in the v-neck sweater and scarf. I loved. Okay. I couldn't figure out if this is like a look. Like, does she have black eyeliner and then like a silver line on top of the black eyeliner? I think that was a thing. Okay, because I was like, is it just silver eyeliner or is it like on top of the black? Because it's not full eyeshadow, but it's an interesting look. <laughs> it's a look. It's a vibe. Yeah. Dean's got the Hawkeye hair. Blumenfeld's got some like modified shaggy Hawkeye hair. I'm curious if what you guys think of Max Medina's hair, because it kind of like has this poofiness that reminds me of when you're a kid. It, okay, did you guys do this when you were in the swimming pool? You yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I don't know if the if the microphone picked that up. What Catherine's saying is like when you're in the pool and you flip your head over and you make your hair look like George Washington. <laughs> it just looks like very like gelled back too in like an early 2000s way. It's like, it's the sort of poof in the front. I was like, what does that remind me of? Oh, <laughs> Paul Frank, Ebo, I know you noticed Paul Frank too. Grace, you referred to Paul Frank as the arrow postal monkey. There were, two, there were two different monkeys. Okay, I think they were two different monkeys. So this was like the classic. And then arrow postal, like the clothing store had its own monkey. But Lorelai's wearing like a Paul Frank shirt, which was like that. Look it up. For those of you who were like not born or sentient at this time, like you cannot imagine how ubiquitous those freaking monkey shirts were. They were, and like, they had like stationery too and like notebooks, they were everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so ubiquitous in fact that when I was thinking of segments, I was like, Paul Frank really should be in the pop culture. Not even <laughs> so much it was like, that was a whole thing. But I think um, they do a good job with the fashion of conveying like the magical snowy night thing. It's not too overdone, but it's cute. Mm-hmm. What about the Revolutionary War of uniforms? We like those. <laughs> They're a look. They're a look. We'll get we'll get the Stars Hollow militia coming back in a big way in the later seasons. So keep an eye on that. Oh, I have a funny one for pop culture. So apparently, Orlai calls Luke Mouthy McGee. I thought this was just supposed to be something funny. Yeah. Uh, apparently, this is in reference to a comic strip character from the 1950s. By a gentleman named Gil Thorpe, a sports comic strip, Maldi McGee from the 50s. So, how did you even find out that that was a reference to something? Um, the Gilmore Girls wiki. I did not. Oh, okay, 
<laughs> um, but I did Google Gil Thorpe to learn more about him, and uh, there wasn't much more to learn. He's like comic artist uh, from the fifties. Oh my god, that's so um, yeah. I'm curious. Did you guys read Judy Bloom? Yes. Yes. Strong Judy Bloom fan. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah, every single one. And Lorelai's right. It is kind of a Judy Bloom moment. Could we read the episode? Yeah. I love this one. I was yeah. I think it's a solid nine to nine and a half from me. I was also debating either nine and nine and a half. I think I'm gonna go with a nine just because I don't want to start inflating scores that high. But I think this to me is probably the best episode of the season, maybe one or two. Yeah. I'm going to go against my habit. Yeah, Catherine, do it. I overinflate because <laughs> I get so delighted by all of the episodes. I don't know if it's just my mood lately or I just found myself getting really annoyed by adults like Richard and Emily and Lorelai just making bad decisions I don't know but is that uh, that shouldn't bring the whole no rate how you feel I gotta give it a 7.5 I got mad at this episode I don't I I don't know it's all right I think I give the deer hunters a five or a four I I hate deer hunters I'm sorry thank you I hate the next episode even more though next one Rory's dance I hate this oh I love that episode I'm gonna give it a nine no. I love that episode. I think it's great TV and I'm excited that we're going to debate it because Catherine doesn't like it either. It makes me cringe. It makes me like full body cringe. But Evo, do you hate the whole episode or just the very end? The very end ruins the rest of the episode for me. I actually really enjoy it until the very end, but then retroactively, like we're unfortunately about to hit a string of episodes that I really have. Like they give me anxiety. I'm sorry because I like all those episodes. No, it yeah. makes for a good podcast. I know. All right, so I'm at a nine. Catherine, you're seven point five, and Evo, what are you doing? A nine. Nine. Cool. Yeah, I am excited to see what our ratings are at the end of the season when we rank like top five episodes and maybe like bottom five or bottom like three we could do. I'll make a cute little graph for us. <laughs> We're about to hit five hundred listens, so I did want to thank everybody for downloading and tuning in. It's really, really awesome that so many people are listening. We have people from, I think, three continents, probably like five, six, seven countries. Actually, I think it's probably like 10. I'm not good at counting and probably like 30 states. It's just really cool. So however you found us, I'm glad you're you're here. You're all puffs. We made an executive decision that we're not going to explain what that is. <laughs> So if you haven't watched the show, get excited for season two when we meet the puffs. So, but in the meantime, thanks for ringing the bell with us. I love that. Can we say that at the end of every episode? Yeah. yeah. All right. So we will see you next week, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.